Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hi everyone, my name is Jackson. I'm the youth intern here at Awaken, and I'd just like to take a moment to welcome you to this space. So welcome. Welcome. Do me a favor for a moment. Acknowledge this space. Look to the people around you. God's presence to us is a gift, but so is our presence to one another. Amen? God shows up to us, and we wait. Somewhere in our wandering or journeying, God arrives. This is true whether that journey is at a high or a low point. In our grappling with the unknown, with suffering and death, there is a God who draws near, a God who is present to our emptiness. We have gathered here today with the expectation that something might happen, that someone else might be here with us. And what do we do with this? But wait. We wait for comfort and peace, for the void in our chests to be filled. Can we truly pause and trust that in our stillness there is a God who acts? I'm offering to you today the idea that our expectation might actually be fulfilled that God might act in our lives. Let's worship while we wait. All right. Oh, hey there. How's it going, August? Uh, If you can find your way back to your seats, that would be great. You know, we thought like six different ways of doing that, and um, none of them were as chaotic as how that happened in our heads, and that's just kind of how it is. You know, you get the kids involved, and uh, it just goes how it's going to go. So, um, hey, friends. So good to see you all and hear you. You sound wonderful this morning, by the way. Um, my name's Micah. See you later, Anna. I'm one of the pastors at Awaken, and uh, very glad to see you, very glad to be with you. A um, couple of quick announcements before we jump into the teaching this morning. Um, want to let you know, if you're new, uh, welcome to you. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, there are a couple of ways you can let us know that you're here if you're interested in that. In the seat pockets in front of you or online, you can click an I'm new button on our front p- homepage there uh, and fill that out. Let us know that you're with us. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, we'd love to get to know you um, and for you to get to know us. And then uh, if you have tithes and offerings that you've come this morning with, those, uh, the cards or tithes and offerings go in the black boxes at each of the exits uh, as you go. Both of those are gifts that we want to steward well, so thank you for those. Um, and then a couple things uh, for, that are happening in terms of events. Uh, first, I want to draw your attention to is game night, April 29th. That's coming up, 6.30 to 8.30, happening here at Awaken. Um, It's pretty self-explanatory, friends. If you like games, you might like this night. If you don't like games, but you just like hanging out with people, you will also like this night. So some snacks and things will be available that night and some good times. Uh, There's a hike happening May the 1st. So if you want to enjoy some outdoor activity with some friends from Awaken, that's 1 to 2.30. Kathy Solomon is heading that up, so you can contact her, Kathy at AwakenWest7th. Dot com or register for that um, online. And then last but not least, Mel is hosting a little artist retreat uh, April the 14th, or excuse me, May the 14th. April 14th has already happened. May 14th, uh, that's from 8.30 to 2.30. That slide is not correct. 8.30 to 2.30, uh, there'll be yoga, there'll be a scripture circle, scripture study, lunch, and then an optional uh, uh, attendance together to the art crawl in St. Paul, which is happening that day. So, 
Uh, you can register online for that as well. Everything that happens at Awaken uh, all goes out in the Awaken Weekly every week by email. So if you aren't subscribed to that, please do. And you can uh, double down on information, friends. Um, so that is that. Let's get to it. Um, if you have your Bibles, find them. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, welcome to the second Sunday of Easter. Um, I don't know if you know much about the church calendar. Uh, if you do, bear with me. If you don't, um, Easter was last week. Uh, if you missed that one, uh, you might be a hobbit living in a hole, but that's okay. You're welcome here too. Uh, Easter was last week. Today's the second Sunday of Easter. There are seven Sundays in the Easter season. Um, and then that ends uh, on the day of Pentecost, which is 49 days after Passover, uh, originally called Shavuot, which is a Jewish festival. But either way, that ends Easter, uh, the Easter season. And what happens next is called ordinary time. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but like from basically Easter all the way to when the church calendar ends and begins again, which is Advent or the last Sunday in the church calendar for 1,000 church calendar points. Does anyone know the last Sunday in the church calendar? I heard it. No? I think it's All Saints Sunday, friends. No, it's Christ the King Sunday. That was a joke. I was, I was testing you. It's Christ the King Sunday. Some of you are like, he is so wrong, but I am not raising my hand because this is not that kind of church. It can be, though, if you'd raise your hands. Um, so Christ the King Sunday. My point is this. Easter, uh, Pentecost, and, uh, uh, and then ordinary time. The whole summer is called ordinary time. It's as if somebody thought to themselves, like, you know, after all the high and holy days, after all the pomp and circumstance, the ballyhoo and tomfoolery, um, we just sort of, like, get to the business of being the church called ordinary time. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I love the idea of ordinary time, which is why I love the Sunday after Easter. Because the Sunday after Easter is like this the church again. It's like the heart and soul of Awaken, you know? All the, all the people that, like, call this place home, there are lots of relatives and grandmas and grandpas and uncles, and maybe you even were here for the first time, on, but you came back, so welcome to you. I love Easter for lots of reasons, but I love even more the week after Easter because, like, these are my people. Uh, this is the church, and I, and I really like you. Um, I'm really glad to be a pastor here. So um, I say I'm glad to see you. That's not a joke, or uh, it's not lip service. I really am. Uh, in ordinary time, where we just get to figure out, like, what does it mean to be the church again and, and go and do it, yeah? So here we go. Um, and, and today's text is actually a, a, a really important moment uh, that I think is is quite uh, telling for where we are as a church, which we'll get to in a bit, but where uh, the, sort of the story of the scriptures in the book of Acts. So um, if you will, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand for just a moment. We'll have our scripture read. Uh, it'll be Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through verse 11. So the word of the Lord for us this morning. Here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning we are gathered in this place declaring ourselves and our intention as your church and those who are interested in following this way of Jesus. Um, Some may be more interested than others. Some may be interested for the first time. Uh, Some who have committed their lives to this path. And uh, God, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that somehow it always all belongs. That you gather us for whatever reason you see fit and we sense these invitations to come to this place and to be together. And so uh, we're grateful to be together. We're grateful to do something that we can't do on our own, uh, to join our voices and to uh, hear the, the words of Scripture read and to come to this table of Eucharist. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us, that you would speak to us and uh, turn on the lights, God. Uh, illuminate, reveal something to us about uh, where we are and what you have for us, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit and the church gathered together said... Amen, amen. You may be seated. Uh, At one point in my life, I was a young father. (laughs) I was a young dad, and uh, I was just having a conversation with someone. I think my wife was involved in it as well, and we both kind of realized that, like, that's over. (laughs) You know? Like, we have kids that are 18, 15, and 14 now. Just had our youngest turn 14. So the whole, like, young parent thing is over, and that's, you know... That's great. Uh, On the one hand, uh, there aren't any diapers um, in our home. There haven't been for a long time. I can't even remember the last time I changed a diaper. And sometimes, though, you know, the problems of of 18-year-olds, they're a bit more serious than the problems of a 3-year-old. And some days, I would trade it. Like, I would just totally trade it. I would be wiping butts instead of what what we're doing. But that's all part of life, right? You guys know this. It's part of life. Um, but when I was a young dad, that's why I'm telling you this story. When I was a young dad, I have this, um, well, let's call it a, a tick. Uh, let's call it a, uh, an, uh, an annoyance. Um, uh, like a, I hate sticky things, like very, very badly. Uh, if you come to my house, the, the honey jar will always be washed, and like there will be no honey on it. Uh, the, the syrup jar, the jelly, you know, somebody, uh, you know, one of your kids butters their toast and puts jelly and gets jelly up on the knife, you know, the, like the shank of the knife. You got to get a new one. Just get a new one, you know, like send it back to the kitchen, clean that thing off because there shall be no stick around here. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a parent, you can really influence your children. You have say over them in a lot of ways. And so when they were young, I taught them the correct way to eat things that were sticky. And it was, a re- it was a whole deal. They would be sit- we'd be sitting around the table, and we're like, we're going to have pancakes for breakfast, kids, and this is going to be uh, it's a teachable moment. So when they were very young, they were in their high chairs, and when they could understand what I was saying to them, I said, this is how you eat a pancake properly, right? 
you put your butter on there, and you put your syrup on there, and uh, when you go to cut it, you, know, you, you, you cut it, and you get a piece of the French toast or the pancake, and we say, dip, now wait, because you can't just dip and go straight to the mouth. That's part of the problem, right? I mean, that's where everything goes wrong. You're just not patient enough to let the syrup drip off of the, the contents and then eat it. So it was a, it was a liturgy in our house. You got to dip, now wait, then eat, right? And they, they learn how to do it to this day. Like, they're great sticky eaters. Uh, there is one, well, no, I won't, I won't throw anybody out of the bus. Um, but it, it was a dip, now wait, now eat. Um, and I, I tell you that story because there is a progression in this text that I think is, is uh, liturgical. It is something to pay attention to. And it is given to this group of people uh, in Acts chapter 1. Uh, and so let's begin by remembering where we are in our series, right? If you've been with us for a while, we were in a series called 40. If you're just joining us, we, we paused this series called 40. Uh, for Palm Sunday and for Easter to kind of join the church globally in these passages that are pretty historically Palm Sunday and Easter. And, um, and now we're going to finish this series called 40. And so uh, just for review, and if you're new, uh, 40 is not just a number. It's not just the number of things or days or months or years. It's actually like a, it's a spiritual state. It's a spiritual invitation in Scripture. Because in the Bible, 40 shows up in some of the most important moments of the whole story. Uh, it rains for 40 days and 40 nights in the, the flood story. Moses, who's a main character, spends 40 years in Egypt. He spends 40 years out in the desert. He spends 40 days on Mount Sinai. He spends 40 days leading and wandering with the people in, uh, in the desert. The people, wander in, uh, people of Israel wander for 40 years. Uh, Goliath taunts the people of Israel for 40 days and 40, 40 mornings. Uh, Joshua and the spies are sent into the land for 40 days. Jesus himself spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the Satan. And, um, of course, if you've been following along with the human experience, uh, it takes 40 weeks to nurture uh, a baby in a womb before it emerges. And so 40 is uh, it's connected to, uh, to death and to life, to uh, to letting something go and receiving something else. It's connected to like uh, something being revealed or illuminated and uh, waiting and preparation. And that is the case in our passage this morning. According to the book of Acts, Jesus spends 40 days with the disciples between resurrection and ascension. So we're like in it, in the story that we heard this morning, right? Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He dies on the cross at the hands of the Romans. He's resurrected three days later. And between that moment and when he ascends, sort of in this um, bizarre moment uh, where if you'd been there, you'd kind of be like, wow, what is happening right now? Um, resurrection and ascension, there are 40 days. 40 days to prepare something. 40 days to get something ready. 40 days for something to be born 40 days for something to emerge into the world. And that moment that we just read in Acts chapter 1, if you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard it before. It's one of the most important moments in all of the Bible. Because what is about to emerge is the thing that you have maybe grown up in, the thing that you've been doing for your whole life, the thing that you maybe have come back to for the first time in a long time, the thing that people have been doing for 2,000 years, which is called the church, the ecclesia, the separated ones, the called out ones, the gathered ones, this thing that we're doing has its roots in Acts chapter 1 and 2. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to try to locate this moment, Acts chapter 1, in the larger story of Scripture. And then I want to actually ask, what does Jesus tell these people when they're there? And then we're going to uh, land the plane by asking, like, how does that find us? Where do we find ourselves in the midst of this story? So are you ready? Are you with me now? You ready to go? So Acts chapter 1, where exactly or how does it connect to the story? And if you've been around Awaken long enough, you know what's coming next. All great stories begin where? Genesis chapter, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we get a vision for how the whole thing is supposed to go. Where God, in chapters 1 and 2, you have two different stories of how things are created. And God creates... This world that we live in, everything in it, and, uh, and one particular creature is special or set apart from the rest, which are the humans. Humans, named Adam and Eve, but generally speaking, humans are set apart from all the rest of the creatures because they bear the image of the divine. In some way that's different than all the rest of the creatures, humanity has the, the image of God. It says, let us make them, humans, in our image. So we, as humans bear or reflect God's nature into the world. And the original invitation to humans in Genesis 1 was to be ambassadors, to be people who represented what God is like, to be uh, reflections of who or what God is like into the world, to be stewards of the world that we that God has made, right? To be co-creators, where humans are given a job, invited to participate in this thing that called life, And where shalom, peace, harmony happens, right? That's the original intention of Genesis chapter 1. Doesn't take far, doesn't take long to go awry, and you get Genesis chapter 3, where they eat a tree. But in Genesis chapter 12, does anybody remember who's introduced in Genesis 12? Abraham, also known as Abram. And at that point, a family of humans is invited to do and be something. So in the first part, it was all of humans. And that goes a little wrong. So God says, I'll take one group of people, one family, and out of that family, we'll give them a totally different job description than Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Nope, not actually true. The same job description, that you would be a blessing to the world. I will bless you, God says, so that you will be a blessing to the whole creation, all of creation. And the intention was that this family of humans would be what humans in general were intended to be at at the beginning. Uh, a reflection, a light. They, they would be a light on a hill, a city which could not be hidden, right? That's what Israel was supposed to be. And so if you fast forward, all of Genesis is like the playing out of that family becoming a family. And in Exodus chapter 24, you have Moses on a mountain, also known as Charlton Heston, and he is given a group, a set of laws, 613 of them, also known as? Torah, right? Torah or the teachings. And what I want to draw out from this moment on Ex- in Exodus chapter 24, when Moses is up on the mountain and he receives the first of the Ten Commandments and then the rest of the law, what is happening in this moment is God empowering or enabling this now, like, uh, what shall we say, nation of people. So first it's all of humans, then it's a family. Now it's this like tribe, this nation of people they get Torah to empower them to be the people of God in the world. That's the whole point. 
Not that they would be special and set apart so that nobody else could come in or everybody would be like, oh gosh, why can't we come to the cool kids table? No, so that everybody could come to the cool kids table via this group of people saying this is what it looks like to live in relationship with God. This is what it looks like. So Torah is actually the means by which they can do this in the world at that time. Tracking so far. Everybody's still with me. Why does any of this matter, Micah? That's a very good question. Because in Acts chapter 1 and 2, you have Jesus doing what Israel ended up not being able to do. Jesus lives Israel's full life, their vocation. He fulfills it. He walks it out all the way to the cross where he gives up his own life in sacrifice for all of creation. Back to the beginning. So when Jesus shows up and is resurrected from the dead, and then in Acts chapter 1 and 2, uh, we see the Spirit of God, if you know the rest of the story, given to the church. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, which will give you power to do the things I've called you to do. So the Spirit of God empowers the group of people now in the world to do and be the same thing that we've always been called to do and be in the world, which is to be a reflection, stewards, caretakers, image bearers of the divine. The point that I want to make here with Acts chapter 1 is this is the moment in which the church of Jesus Christ is empowered to do and be what we've been called to do and be. Now here's an interesting fact. This moment in scripture, Exodus chapter 24, uh, the giving of Torah, actually gets connected to a Jewish feast. There's a Jewish feast, feast called Shavuot. It's the feast of weeks or the feast of first fruits where the people bring in the first fruits of the harvest and they offer them to God. It's 49 days after Passover. Passover is when Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the dead, if you remember that. So, this moment in scripture where Torah is given to the people to, be, to empower them to live, in, live into this role becomes connected to, in Jewish history, Shavuot. So, track with me. The disciples are in Jerusalem for Passover. Jesus is killed. He's crucified. He's resurrected from the dead. 49 days later, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, they are back in Jerusalem for, to celebrate Shavuot, which they would have known as a celebration of the giving of the law to the people of God to be the people of God in the world. And what do we call it as Christians 2,000 years later? Pentecost. Isn't that wild? They're there celebrating the giving of Torah, the, 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 the empowerment of the people to be the people in the world. And what happens next in Acts chapter 1 is a re-empowerment by the Spirit of God in and through the church. Welcome to Old Testament, New Testament 101. You've just been to a seminary class. Is everybody tracking? That's the moment that we are at in Scripture. That's why Acts 1 and 2 is one of the most important moments in the whole story. Because it's enabling, it's empowering, it's inviting you and I, the church of Jesus, to do and be a certain thing in the world. Which is not the people who are always right. Which is not the people who are out on the street corner picketing the people that we disagree with. Which is not the group of people who always tell people who's right and who's wrong and who's in and who's out. That's not the job of the church, friends. The job of the church is to be ambassadors, reflections, stewards, caretakers, image bearers of the divine presence in the world. In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, 40 days between resurrection and ascension, that is about to emerge. That is what's happening in the story that we just read. Now, 
what's the message that Jesus gives the disciples? What does he say to them in Acts chapter 1? He says, wait, dip, now eat. No. He says, wait, receive, and bear witness. Three things. Wait, receive, bear witness. The word wait in uh, Greek is parameno, and it means remain or abide around or near. So it's made up of two words, around or near, and wait or abide or remain. So wait, uh, abide, uh, remain, well, where? Near or around this thing that's coming. Um, When I was young, I I had, uh, well, I still do have four brothers, but growing up in our house, five of us boys, we lived in a two-bedroom house uh, with seven of us and five boys. You got the math there on that? My brothers and I shared the two bedrooms upstairs, three of us in one room, Three of us in one room, two of us in another, bunk bed, bunk bed, or bunk bed, trundle bed, bunk bed, right? And my parents uh, would, every night, open a hide bed from the couch in the living room, and that's where they slept for like the first 12 years of my life. And uh, Christmas morning was wild, you can imagine. It was just bonkers. There was so much excitement, it was palpable. We were so excited about Christmas, and we would just want to run down the stairs to, to the Christmas tree, which is also the bedroom, which is also the living room. And my parents were like, no. You, like 7 a.m. You may not come downstairs until 7 a.m. And as a child on Christmas morning, that's like death. You know, you're awake at, you know, 3, 4 in the morning, and you're, you, you wake up your brothers, you're like, oh my gosh, do you think the remote control car is under the tray? And they're like, no, you're such an idiot, no one would ever give that to you, or whatever, you know. And so we'd just be like scampering and banging around, and as a parent now, I kind of like, isn't that a sweet moment, you know, where you just hear your kids upstairs just like bickering and bantering and, you know, t- t- like little mice running around upstairs. And it wasn't until 7 a.m., and we would have to wait and wait and wait and wait. Seemed like forever before we could come downstairs. And then it was just pandelirium, you know, people just down the stairs and, you know. We would take sleeping bags, actually, and get in them and then just right down the stairs on our butts. Can you? It's amazing that we're all still here. But what, what is it about waiting, you know? Why do we hate waiting so much? Here's an all-play question, actually. Why do we hate waiting? What do you hate about waiting? An all-play question is when I, like, come down here and I actually want to hear from you. What is it about waiting that you don't like or is very difficult? Waste of time. Thank you, Susan. What? Boring, yes, absolutely. What do you hate about waiting? What if I'm missing it? What if I'm missing out? Yeah, okay, FOMO, for the, that's fear of missing out. <laughs> YOLO, no, sorry. What do you hate about waiting? Might be a rule, yes, requires patience. What do I hear back here? Anxiety, yeah. You might not get it. Yeah. Anybody else? What do you hate about waiting? Too many people to see, too many things to do, too many places to go. When we wait, we're not in control. When we wait, we don't determine our own future. We're dependent upon someone else. Yeah, we are uncertain about the future. Uh, We want to be immediately gratified, and when we have to wait, we can't get that, and that's frustrating. Jesus tells his disciples and his followers to wait. Wait for something. Wait for someone. 
wait for something that's beyond you. Wait for something that's actually outside of your control, that you cannot dictate to, but you respond to. I wonder, especially as 21st century Americans who live in a consumeristic Western culture, I think it's important for us to pause and remind ourselves that waiting is actually a part of the spiritual life, a really important part of the spiritual life. To wait when we don't want to wait. When we feel like we've been here too long. When we feel like we are wasting our time. When we feel like there is something else we should be doing. Jesus says wait. Wait in Jerusalem. The capital city where it all begins and ends. Like the the pinnacle where all the action is. Wait. Pause. Slow down. Stop trying to dictate and, 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 and fix and make and grab and wait. Wait and then you will receive. The word receive in scripture is lambano in Greek and it means to receive or lay hold of. Which I think is a fascinating word. Lay hold of. Like the, uh, I think this, you want to throw that uh, definition up there if you would, Rochelle. It talks about this, uh, accept with initiative. So to receive is to accept with initiative. Isn't that a fascinating picture? Like emphasizing volition of the receiver. A lot of times when we talk about receive, it's like inactive, it's passive. You know, the, the fighter received blow after blow. Uh, you just, you stand there. You get what you get. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. There's something that's true about that when we receive. It's a directionality and there is a giver and a receiver. And to receive is to receive. It's not to give. It's something different than that. Something will be given to you. Something you need that's outside of yourself, Jesus says. But then there is this other side of the same coin, which is often the case. Receiving, at least in this context, has a very active part in which you play as the receiver. There's initiative to lay hold of something, to receive, not passively, but to engage, receive. And remember what we're laying hold of. It's not more money, it's not popularity, it's not, no, it's Shavuot. It's the empowerment of the people. It's Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit. Receive the spirit of the living God in a way that it has not been manifested or uh, you've participated in so that you can be God's people in the world. Jesus waits, is with them for 40 days, and he says, wait, get yourselves ready, prepare yourselves, allow nurturing and growth that needs to take place in this moment so that you can receive the Spirit of God, which will empower you to be what? The church. The ambassadors, the reflectors, the stewards, the co-creators in God's good world. I don't know what definition you got of the church, but I'd like to offer that as a possibility. That like that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're doing. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God invested in to the church is like 
uh, what they're after, what they're up to, what they're trying to get us to do and be. And so we're back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And, and then he says, wait, receive so that you will be my witnesses. To bear witness, right? To stand and say, uh, this is what I have experienced. I will, you know, if you, court case, right? Somebody's up on the witness stand and they just tell you what they saw. They tell you what they experienced. They uh, tell the truth about that. Uh, in my meetings as of late with the Board of Ordered Ministry, I have been bearing witness to something that they say is impossible. They're like, there cannot be fruit over here in this section of the world. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I need eyes. I don't, I didn't actually do that. That would be very disrespectful and I would not do that. That's a terrible idea. But I'm like, listen, I am bearing witness. I am testifying to the fact that there is fruit where you say there cannot be fruit. I just pray to God that you will see it. So I've been trying to bear witness. What is, what, what, Jesus says, wait so you will receive the Spirit and then bear witness. Which is to say, just tell the truth about what you've seen and heard and experienced. You don't have to convince. You don't have to cajole. You don't have to harangue. You just have to say, well, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. I have experienced the divine presence in a way that I just, like, here's how I would explain it. I have experienced God's love through my community of people that I follow, that I'm doing life with. I have seen God at work. That's all you're doing. Just bearing witness, testifying. So do you have anything to testify to? Now that's a, there's a, there's a question. And maybe you're not sure about the answer to that, or maybe you haven't been doing this long enough to say, yeah, I have a whole litany of things, or maybe you're not even sure how this all works. All that's fair in love and war. But do you have anything to bear witness to? Do you have anything to testify to? Can you name it? Can you look back on your own life and say, man, I, 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 think, that's the, I think that's the presence of God at work. Do we as a community have anything to bear witness to as the church? Friends, I want to see if I can wrap this up because I think we're in an important moment as a church. And I want to just like put a couple of like ticks, a few bullet points down so that we can all kind of see it and, and gather around it, right? Acts chapter 1, wait, receive the Holy Spirit so that you can bear witness. The church embodied in the world, like reflecting God and what God is like into the world. That was 2,000 years ago, and here we are. Here's where we find ourselves, Awaken itself. We were born in 2010 in Cherokee Heights Park. We started there with 30 people. Uh, and we prayed about you all and what this would look like. In 2013, we became a church in the Evangelical Covenant Church. We were welcomed as a full member congregation in 2013. In 2015... We moved to this building, also known as St. James. We were uh, in a comedy club in the parents in our basement in the, the basement of our parents' house, and we felt like we just had to move out. We were tired of the well, all kinds of things. I'll, I could tell you about it, but I won't. Yep, I'm not gonna. <laughs> in in 2018, uh, or excuse me, in 2017, uh, we started Awaken East which was a church plant, and, um, and I got suspended for praying at a gay wedding. And that began a new season uh, in some ways in our church history. In 2018, we closed Awaken East, 
And uh, that was hard. It was a painful experience, and we learned a lot. And there are things that we look back on that I would still say God was in the midst of, and it was also really hard. Uh, In 2019, on March the 8th, I don't know if you know this or not, the Sunday before COVID, there were 630 people in this building in two services. That was two and a half years ago. March 15th, there was nobody in this building. And in 2021, in August, we gathered again in person for the first time. And we began a maybe secondary journey with the covenant on an important matter. So I say all of this because I don't know if you sense anything, but we as a church and as a leadership team and as a staff sense that there is, we are on the threshold. Like imagine coming through those doors, there's a threshold, like they're open and you walk in and then you're like, you move from outside to in, there's a moment, there's a threshold. And we as a church very much sense that we are at a threshold, that there is a new season in front of us and there are some things that we are waiting on. And it is frustrating as, it's very frustrating. (laughs) And we can't move things fast enough or as fast as we want. We can't get answers to things when we want them sometimes. And it is, and so we wait on a lot of things. We're waiting to find out a number of, uh, I'm waiting to find out uh, whether I'm going to be ordained in the covenant or not. Our church is waiting to find out our life going forward in the covenant. We're waiting to find out, like, God, should we even be? Should we stay? Is this a waste of our time? Are we, like, fighting a battle? We are done fighting. We're waiting for answers on some of those things. We are ready to receive, ready to receive a fresh new wind of God's spirit, new wine we've been talking about. And I'm telling you, I just, like, I don't don't tell you things I don't believe because I can't. I'm a terrible liar, and I can't fake it. So I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't believe it. But I sense, like, if you've ever been sailing, you, you're like, you're dead in the water. You're just kind of standing, you need a little wind here. The sails are up and there's just nothing happening. And then off in the distance, you see like ripples and you can literally watch the wind come across the water. And then the boat lifts and it's like, oh, now we're cooking. Let's move. And that is what I sense. That's what we sense. That, that like there is, there's, there's something happening and we are trying to set our sails to be able to catch whatever that looks like going forward. So that... We can build a mega church and get a new building and put my face on a bus bench. No. So that we can participate in the story of God in our lifetime. So that we can bear witness to the transformative, life-giving nature of the love of the divine, which we see on display in the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Amen? So that, like, we can be good news in the world. So that we can be, well, it's on the other side, reflectors, ambassadors, image bearers in the world. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we want to receive, the, like, a fresh wind of the Spirit for. So I, I just, like, on this, this day after Easter, it's sort of a family meeting, friends. And I want to invite you to actually two things. Number one, I'd like to invite you to a family meeting. March, no, March. Um, May the 15th. So when we would normally have our annual meeting, we push that to June because a bunch of things are happening. So May the 15th, 5.30 dinner, 6.15 family meeting. Because we feel like 
there are some things in front of us that we want to live into, and it will require all of you. It will require all of us to like put our hand to the plow and like move forward together as a church. So we want to talk about that. We want to like be like be transparent and authentic and honest and say like this is where we see God moving. This is where we want to go. This is what we need, and we want to invite you to that. Uh, and, and then I guess maybe just as your pastor, I would say to you like um, I'm in. I'm not going anywhere. And I want to lead as well as I can, and I want to offer, like, uh, our staff team is, is in, and we're saying we want to go where God wants us to go, and so I just want to stand here on behalf of them and our leadership and ask you, are you in? Are, do you want to go? Do you want to be in this at Awaken with us? And if you do, awesome. If you're not sure yet, well, well let's figure out how to get there, and as long as that takes, that's fine, too. And if you're not, and you're like, I don't think this is a church for us, that's fine. There's a good chance we're going to need your parking spot. <laughs> so I bless you. We bless you. There's a good chance we're going to need your seat. So I bless you. We bless you. And I say that like with all honesty and all seriousness, because friends, we got stuff. We got stuff to do. There's things happening. It's pow- it's cracking around here, and uh, so. I'm, I'm as excited as I've been in a long time, and I hope you sense that, and I, I just want to, like, offer you an honest invitation. Um, sometimes people say, like, fish or cut bait, or in or out, or, you know, if you're with... And it's less that, and it's more just like, are you with us? Are you with me now? Up to you. That's your, that's your question for the morning. Let me pray. Um... And we will make our way to this table. I uh, Sometimes I get on a roll and I say more than I need, should have said or planned to say. And it's 1031 and I'm sorry about that. But there's still Eucharist to be had. So stop talking. Start praying. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for this time to be together. We pray for uh, a sense of your Holy Spirit's presence right now in this moment, in this room. That you would speak to us. Turn on the lights. Illuminate. Reveal. Prepare. Nurture in us what what needs to happen in our hearts to be the kind of church that you want us to be in this city. So Holy Spirit, in the next few moments, speak to my friends, I pray. Uh, Invite them to whatever you have for them. If it's awakened, may it be clear. If it's not, may it be clear. Speak now. To the church gathered this morning, a few reminders who we are, who we've been called to be, the task at hand, and like the smallest amount of like, where are we going? Well, I think we kind of know, but that's the journey, that's the adventure. So I hope you're in for it, um, and I look forward to it. So no, uh, go with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit church gathered together said amen grace and peace friends see you next week find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken community or on twitter at awaken community see you next time